much um, you knew about John the Baptist before he was uh, interviewed on This Is Your Life this morning. I think maybe for some of you, all you may have known about him was that um, he ate locusts and honey in the desert. Bit of a survival expert, a bit like Ray Mears or uh, Bear Grylls, if you watch programmes like that. What we may not have appreciated was just how much of a celebrity he was. In Mark's Gospel, it says the whole Judean countryside, all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see him. He had his own disciples, a bit like his own little uh, fan club, who went everywhere with him. And of course, today we also live in a celebrity culture, don't we? You don't actually need to be good at anything to be a celebrity, uh, apart from being good at being a celebrity. You just need to keep yourself in the public eye. You know, I guess one of the uh, most well-known celebrities today will probably be David Beckham. There's, um, there's a quiz programme on Monday nights. I don't know whether any of you watch it. A bit late for some of you younger guys. But it's called uh, Would I Lie to You? And um, they ask questions. Uh, they tell all the stories. And the, um, the contestants have to say, is it true or is it false? Was he lying? Was he telling the truth? One of the stories this week, and we'll do it on you guys here, was this. So listen carefully and tell me afterwards whether you think it was true or false. For Nelson Mandela's 90th birthday, David Beckham gave him, for his birthday present, a copy of his autobiography. In case you know what an autobiography is, it's a book that he wrote about his own life. Now let's play the game. All of you who think that was true, put your hand up now. Okay. And all of you think that was false, put your hand up now. Pretty evenly spread, I guess. Don't know what you guys out the back are thinking. Um, how the spit is there. The answer is that it was actually true. Which, I didn't find too much of a surprise if you think about it, you know, Bex and Posh made a television programme about moving home. You know, how many people think that's interesting enough for other people to watch? Um, so, you know, he probably has quite a high opinion of himself. Um, probably not surprised that he thought his life would be interesting to somebody like Nelson Mandela. Now, we saw the beginning of the service in that video, didn't we? And a lot of people who thought they were great in their particular area. Um, probably the most famous one was Muhammad Ali, who said, I am the greatest. And a lot of people have been able to say the same as well in their different area. But the thing is with celebrities is, no matter whether it's in sports or entertainment um, or whatever, as you grow old, your time will eventually come to an end. Other people will become greater, more popular than you. Unless, of course, you're Dame Vera Lynn and you're still in the charts at the age of 92, I think she is. That's a bit like what's happening in this story of John the Baptist. You know, we're going to be concentrating in these next few minutes on the passage that was read out to us, the passage that appeared on the screen. That comes actually from John's Gospel, chapter 3, um, verses 22 onwards. If you've got a Bible and you want to follow it, um, do please open it. Now what's going on here is John is busy baptising people and um, his disciples come to him and this is what they say, this is what it says here. They say in verse um, 26, Rabbi, that means teacher, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well he is baptising and everyone is going to him. 
And you sense a bit of, what are we going to do about it? You know, he's set up in competition now. Maybe we should offer a free towel with the baptisms that we do or something so we don't lose our customers. But John's reaction is very different, isn't it, from the normal human reaction. It displays a man of remarkable godliness, a man of remarkable humility, which makes him a real Bible hero. What he basically says is, that news has made my day. That news has made my joy complete. The question I'd just like to ask you this morning is, how is he able to say that? And whether we are able to say that ourselves, what relevance does that have for us today? How are we able to say, my joy is complete? I've found true, lasting happiness and contentment. Well, I want to suggest a couple of things here from the, the passage, um, that in order to know that same joy, we follow John's example. We follow it, first of all, by accepting that Jesus is above all. The reason that John said he must become greater and I must become less is that he acknowledged that Jesus was no ordinary man. John was no ordinary man. He had a very special task to perform. But Jesus was no ordinary man because Jesus was also God. And John makes that clear when he says this in verse 31. He says, The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. So John recognises that even though he's become a bit of a celebrity, even though he's thousands of people coming out to be baptised by him, he is still just from the earth. He's a man. Whereas Jesus, the one who has now come as the Messiah, as the Christ from heaven, is above all. Jesus has been sent from God, it goes on to say, and therefore speaks the words of God. And it also says the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. In other words, he's got the whole world in his hands. You could write a song about that, couldn't you? Might even sell a few drinks with it. But what is the most important thing that Jesus could have in his hands? Well, I think it comes out in this passage, surely it must be our eternal destiny. What happens to us when we die? That is in his hands, it says here. That could be quite scary if it all depended on on us, whether we achieved great grades or achievements, if we got full, you know, A stars in our exams, which I'm sure a lot of you guys have got. But that's not what it says here. What it says here is, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. It's only if we reject him It says here that we won't have life, that God's wrath will remain on us. But if we believe in him, we will have eternal life. Our future is in his hands. But what does that mean? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? I want to suggest what it says here is that we humbly submit our lives to him. We We put him first. We put him as the greatest. Weddings are are great occasions, aren't they? It's um, great to hear of engagements. We have engagement with Becky Tomlin, Johnny Phillips, are they here this morning? Not around here. One of the things that Johnny's going to have to do over the next few months, if he hasn't already, is he's going to choose who's going to be his best man. Do any of you younger guys know what a best man is at a wedding? What does the best man do? Anyone know? 
I've got a picture here of um, going back a few years. You might recognise the bride and the groom here. I think it's coming up. It's uh, a bit embarrassing. Yeah, that is me on the, the left, and that is Liz. And uh, the guy on the right is my best man. He was my best man at my wedding. He, he was there to help me, support me. And um, it's quite difficult to choose a best man because, you know, you don't want to upset others. Um, but, you know, how do you go about choosing? Is it, you know, the one who can do the funniest speech at the, uh, the reception? Well, really, it's the one who can be the, the best support to you on the day. You know, not someone who's going to try and steal the show, overshadow you, because the day is about the bride and the groom. It's not about the best man. And sometimes the best man is the one who, who introduced the couple in the first place, who brought the bride and the groom together. And that's how John compares himself here when he says the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom, that's the best man, waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's, bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. The image of bride and groom is often used in the Bible to describe Jesus and his people, the church. Jesus is the groom and the bride are the people of God. They, they come together. And what John is saying is, I'm not the groom, I'm just the, the friend of the groom. The groom is Jesus. He is the, the greatest person here. I was just sent to prepare the way, to introduce the bride, the people to the groom, to Jesus. And it's great that they're going to him now because he is the only one who can really give them what they need and that is eternal life. That is why John says, my joy is complete. He's putting the needs of other people before his own needs. Before his own needs to be popular, to be famous and everything else that goes along with it. So believing in Jesus is to submit our lives to him. And also finally and briefly, it's to humbly accept the role that he's given us. And John's friends came to him saying, you know, that bloke Jesus is baptising. Everybody's going to him. Look at what John replied. He replied in verse 27, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. And according to the world around us, what you need is success, what you need is um, fame, career progression, it's achievements, it's popularity, um, it's wealth, etc., etc. If you are, society says, successful, then you will be happy. And of course, that's why tens of thousands of people line up and say, you watched TV last night, to take part in the X Factor. They want their moment of fame, of success, of happiness. Of course, the problem with seeking happiness in that way is... Well, if you're not successful, it just breeds jealousy, it breeds resentment. Um, as we compare ourselves with those around us. You know, if you get better exam results than you were expecting, you're going to be pleased, aren't you? If you find out then that everybody else has got better than you, suddenly you're not quite as pleased as you were. You're comparing yourself with others. And then either you'll end up pretty miserable, or if you actually are better than the others, you'll just end up proud and arrogant. If we are secure, as John was, in the knowledge that God loved him, irrespective of his worldly success, then that, that gives us a security. It means we don't need to compare ourselves with other people. We're just content with what we have received 
from heaven with the talents, with the gifts that we have received, that we have been given. And the reason that John was able to say, my joy is complete, was because he felt no insecurity. He knew how much God loved him. So much that he was willing to come from heaven to earth and take on human form and finally die for him. And so with the reassurance of that love, he was able to accept whatever role God gave him. He could have called him to be a tax collector or a soldier, like we saw earlier, and that would have been fine for him. He actually called him to to do a very important role, a role which was actually going to be quite short-lived because um, it wouldn't be long before he was going to be killed by King Herod. But John died having completed the job that he was given to do. And so what I want to say to you this morning is every one of you is special. From the youngest here, from Holly and Joseph, they're special to God, right up to the oldest. I won't try and guess who the oldest is. The talents he gives you, the roles he gives you, as we'll find out in due course that he's given Holly and Joseph, they are not a reflection of how much he loves you. You know, the fact that I'm up here preaching this morning doesn't mean he loves me any more than, than John and Caroline who are here doing the cleaning of the church yesterday morning. doesn't mean he loves me any more than the person who made this great flower preparation here. Who was it, by the way? Anybody want to own that? Rosemary. Rosemary. Well done, Rosemary. A wonderful flower arranging here. Um, sometimes I wish I had been called to do flower arranging rather than preaching. <laughs> you might be thinking the same. <laughs> I'm looking to see his laughing, by the way. <laughs> the point here is that God demonstrated his love for us in Jesus dying for us on the cross, taking upon himself the anger of God. And either we accept that love or we reject it, in which case his anger remains on us. If we accept that love, then we can take the gifts and the responsibilities that he's given us, whatever they may be, and we can get on and do what he wants us to do. We are, every one of us, unique. Knowing we are safe, we're secure for eternity. And we'll be able to say with John, my joy is complete. Can you say that? Can you say, my joy is complete? If not, and you, you want to find out more about what it actually means to be a Christian, then we do run courses from time to time, but we're running one very shortly called Christianity Explored. If you do want to come and join us on that and ask questions you have, have a word with me afterwards. But now, as we come to an end, I just want to leave you with that question. Is your joy complete?